Hey guys, my name is Libby and thank you so much for tuning in to the Engage Network. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about who made God. It's easy to make assumptions about who God is when we only see him in the wrong light. When you ask questions like who made God or who is God, are you talking about God or your own version of him? This week, Pastor Jeremy is sharing a brand new message called the Goosebumps God. Welcome to Engage this morning. We're glad you're here. Um, I'm glad you're here. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn them to, uh, I believe it's 2 Kings. And uh, 2 Kings, we're going to look at chapter 12 in a few minutes' time. We're continuing a series this morning called Who Made God? And you picked a wonderful morning to come to church because it's warm in here for once this Sunday. And uh, it's cold outside. Pastor Brett's in Calgary speaking uh, this morning, and uh, Pastor Seb's got Stony Plain on lockdown, so that's all good. But uh, we want to continue in what we're talking about uh, with this Who Made God. And I just want to say this uh, before we read the first scripture, get started. Um, the prophetic word that Brian Esslinger had this morning, uh, so key and fitting about God wanting to do something in our hearts. There's a story in the Bible where it says, uh, the disciples walked with Jesus after the resurrection on this road to Emmaus, and they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? There was something about this communication level with Jesus. And uh, I think there are some people that when you heard that, you're like, man, I wish I had that, because the actual thing we're going to talk about today in our Who Made God is making our emotions and feelings an idol and the importance of that connection with God, yet how we have to be able to gauge and monitor that. So uh, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read what's on the screen here. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 to 25, and the message says this, The basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes, and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see with their eyes as such their eyes as such can't see the eternal power, for instance, the mystery of his divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion, so that was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretend, pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hand for cheap figurines that you can buy at any roadside sand. So God said, in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you get. It wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen, smeared with filth, filthy inside and out. And all of this because they traded the true God for a fake God and worshiped the God they made instead of the God who made them. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you. That every time we come to meet with you and we come to hear your voice and we come to hear your word, God, I pray that in moments when we don't feel like it does anything, I pray that we would remember this morning that seeds of life are planted through your word and they do reap a harvest in due time. So God, I just pray this morning that you would take your words, not mine, and give us a grace to believe and trust and hear your voice afresh in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. I'm done praying for sports teams, just so you know, because uh, I prayed for football last week, and everything went sour. Like, everything went south. Everything that I prayed would happen didn't happen, and, you know, I'm ridiculous to think that God, God cares that uh, so much about the outcome of football, but as we talk about this subject, who made God, we, we can look into this and we can say, well, it's kind of silly, like 
if, if we believe God is truly God, he's self-existent, he's who he is within himself, he doesn't need anyone to formulate or form who he is, he doesn't need that from us, but the truth of the matter is we begin to realize that uh, perhaps too often we've created an image of God or something false when we believe something about God that isn't necessarily true. And we've been talking about this for a few weeks because as Pastor Brett and myself and Pastor Seb started looking at some of these things, if we want to move forward in the things of God and what he wants for this community and Stony Plain and Edmonton and different places, we have to start seeing God properly. We have to stop putting images that we've created for ourselves in front of us and actually start to remember who God is that goes beyond our senses, our experiences, and one of the things we're going to talk about today, our emotions and feelings. In the first week, we talked about an on-demand God. I would love to have an on-demand God, a God that when I shoot up a prayer in the line in a parking lot, that the parking spot opens right in front of the door at West Edmonton Mall, and then I could say favor ain't fair or something weird like that. But, you know, like that that's how God works, but it's not true, right? And we talked about this idea of when we live with this idea that we need an on-demand God, it leaves us discouraged and disappointed, and we got to get back to the truth and reality of who God is, and he is good, but he doesn't have to prove his goodness to us by every small answered prayer, but he does answer prayer. We talked last week about the idea of a killjoy God, that God doesn't want me to be happy, and so in my life, I'm just going to keep living for myself because becoming a Christian sounds really boring, and I'm not going to... Uh, you know, I'm not even going to deny this because I've been a pastor for a long time and I've heard people give testimonies at baptisms that go like this. Before God, I, my life was like parties and this and that and all these things. And then I met Jesus and now I come to church four times a week and I have no time for anything else and I guess my life's okay. Like that's what it comes across as. And then your friends that don't know Jesus are like, why would I want that? <laughs> come on, you've thought that. Right? Like, uh, we've had young people sit in front of my wife and I that uh, they would come to youth from time to time for fun events. And we said, like, why don't you just surrender your life to Jesus? Said, because I still want to have fun. And it's like, if you would just see how much God is for you. Long time ago in youth ministry, I stopped preaching about the things you need to do. And you should do this. And you should do that. And that's wrong. And this is bad. And this is that. I, I started to realize that if young people could see how amazing this life with God actually could be, they wouldn't care about all the other stuff. When you get a taste of how good God is and how amazing his plan for your life is and where he wants to take you, guess what? The parties the friends that you don't really need, those other things, they begin to kind of fall to the wayside because you're going after something that you actually believe is better, not something you were told, this is bad, so you need to serve God and be in church and be bored for the rest of your life. Because that's, that's how they feel. And so we talked about that a little bit last week, and now this week we're going to touch on something that I think we could probably preach two or three Sundays on, but I don't have that much time. I have about 24 minutes left. And we need to talk about what Pastor Brett would call a goosebumps God or a feel-good God, that God is there to make me feel good. And if I don't feel good or I don't feel like God is moving my life, I guess he's not there anymore or he's not real. See, there's a lot of people that they have this, uh, this image of God that when things feel right and they look right and they seem right, God is good. 
But when the feelings fade, when it doesn't actually work out the way we want, where we can't feel those tingly feelings and his presence, you know, like we kind of want that feeling where when you reached out to hold that girl's hand for the first time and you're like, oh, what's this going to be like? And it's so amazing. And now you're like, ah. <laughs> Been there, done that. 15 years, your wife's like, do you want to cuddle? I've done that before. I want to go watch football. You know, like, no. So she's learned. She comes and watches football with me and cuddles there. But, you know, we, we, we base so much on feelings. Like, I mean, if you treated your marriage or your relationship like you do your feelings with God sometimes, you wouldn't get very far. Right, like show up at home for dinner when you feel like it. You know, uh, be there for your spouse when you feel like it. Like those things don't usually work out very well in the end. But all too often our feelings and this idea of God is supposed to make me feel good brings a big struggle in our humanity because uh, like Jesse said, and I would say even this of myself, is that we are emotional beings, and some of us more than others. I'm not a very excitable person, but I can tell you this. I'm actually quite emotional of a person. I feel very deeply, and my wife can tell you more about that if you want to ask stories later. Let's just call it temperamental at times, but... We have to learn that there is a part of our being, being created in the image of God, that is emotional. It is felt, and it is very real, but we also have a spirit that is called the spirit man that we have to learn to live by that actually helps us uh, monitor and gauge those emotions, because emotions are good, but they can also be very, very bad. And the question this morning is this, what am I supposed to do when I can't feel God? Isn't he supposed to make me feel a certain way? Why didn't the worship pastor do their job this morning and I should have felt God more in the service, right? Like, we, we, we don't say it out loud, but we do. Man, if they would have played that song, my Sunday experience would have been that much better. You know, if, if, if this person was speaking, I would have got a lot more out of the message. And, and, and yes and no, maybe because of personality, but it's not about our feelings all the time, we have to come back to the truth of who God is and get something out of that. So we're going to take a deep look this morning at our feelings, our emotions, uh, the idea that if I don't feel good all the time, is something drastically wrong? Am I caught in sin? Does God not love me anymore? All of these things that the enemy would try to swirl and throw in your head and your brain. And the best way that I could think to do this with you this morning goes against everything in my being, is by kind of playing a game. Have you ever played the game Two Truths and a Lie? If you haven't, it doesn't matter. It's a stupid game. Most games are. If people ever invite me over, just telling you this, to play board games, I will probably show up because I like people and coffee. But playing games, like I could, I could go the rest of my life and never play a board game again and be totally fine. That's just where I'm at. Or when people put you on the spot and it's like, I got an idea. Let's, let's quickly make a list of five things that most excite you in life and this and that. And I stand there and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't really care to do this right now. But, uh, you know, for the sake of my message, I'm going to do this to you. Two truths and a lie. So the game kind of goes like this. I'm going to tell you three things about my parenting skills. 
two of which are true, one is a lie, and you have to guess which is truth and which is a lie. Okay, so uh, first one I would like to tell you about is that I uh, used to throw some epic tea parties um, with many stuffed animals, and they all actually got named after nicknames that my kids all have. The second thing that I'd like to tell you about my parenting skills is that uh, my wife has left the child in bed next to me, and I've woken up with them on the floor and my wife yelling at me. Uh, and the last thing is that very often I will feed my kids ice cream instead of supper. So now, which one of those do you guys think is a lie? I forget what I said. I lied to you anyways. They're all true. They're all true. This is how my, this is how, see, that's how the game doesn't work, right? I'm not very good at lying. Yeah, one time my wife was like, she says, I swear I told you, our daughter's beside you. Thankfully, we only had one of those Ikea mom beds that's really low to the ground. She's like, I'm going to shower. The baby's next to you. And I'm like, apparently I answered her. I can't be held responsible if I've answered her in my sleep. And the next thing I hear is a thud. And my wife's screaming and the shower turned off and I was in trouble. And that's all I remember about that one. I, I'm well known for, I mean, based on my killer model looks, uh, I, I, any day, if, if we're like, let's go get ice cream on the beach or DQ instead of supper, like, I'm down. Like, all the time, that's me. And uh, my daughter, she would use, set up her stuffed animals around the table all the time and make me have tea parties with her. And one time I was sitting with her and she says, Dad, sit here. And I said, no, I want to sit across from you. And she says, no, I want you to sit here. I said, no, I want to sit across from you so I can see your face and talk to you. And my three-year-old daughter said, Daddy, if you love me, you will do what I say. <laughs> I said, the devil is a liar, and we need to train in our home. So two truths and a lie. And what I'm going to go through when we face our feelings and emotions and about this God that's supposed to make us feel good, I think they're up here on the screen. I'm going to read three statements and we're going to go through them one by one, and two of them are true, and one is a lie. First one is this. Feelings and emotions are important to God, and he is meant to be felt by me. What do you think that is, truth or a lie? You're like, I don't want to say they are, and then they're not, and you're going to tell me, get over it. Don't be so emotional, right? Number two, feelings can cause me to miss the fullness of what God has for me. True? True? Number three, not feeling God is a sign of his absence, and I just need to try harder and be better. False. Okay. I think you're getting the idea of this. So the first thing I want to mention this morning as we go through this, and I'm going to get into a story, and I want to leave us with five practical uh, things as we leave today. So don't worry. I have eight points left. We're going to be done relatively on time. I'm just saying. Like, this is where I'm at. Like, I have so much stuff. Can we go back to the other screen on my monitor here? First thing I want to address is this. Feelings. I'm going to go back one more. I can't read it up here. Okay. I got paper up here anyways. Feelings and emotions are important to God, and he is meant to be felt by me. This is a true statement, and I believe that this is something that we can't overlook. A verse that I love is Romans 14, verse 7, and it says this in this scripture. It says, 14, 17, says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but everyone say righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
you can just say joy. Righteousness, <laughs> peace, and joy. I love this verse. The kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating and drinking, the do's and don'ts of life and all these things, but it is the righteousness of God, it's peace, and it's joy. And we have to understand that righteousness is something that we are given by God. It comes through grace. It's a gift in our lives, and we have the righteousness of God put on us through Jesus Christ. But peace and joy are actually emotional responses. So when someone says, well, your Christianity should just be solely faith and it should solely be about your faith in Jesus and his righteousness in your life, they're forgetting the part that God promises us peace and joy. And when God says that, it tells me that God cares very much about my emotions and my feelings and that he wants me to live in a realm of peace and joy as I follow him. And so God is an emotional God. He is uh, someone that cares about our emotions, but we do have to remember at times our emotions aren't everything. You know, this uh, David Ekman, a professor in seminary, said this. He said, feelings are the bane and blessing of our existence. A blessing, for example, is they create a profound joy within us as we look upon our children or a bane when we experience times of grief and loss. Those various times in our emotions match the delights and disasters of life. See, our emotions have a tendency to match the ups and downs of life. The source of emotion is a surprising place. The ability to feel comes from our being made in the image of God. Because we are made in his image, we are body, soul, and spirit, in being made in the image of God. We have a soul realm and an emotional realm that God cares very deeply about and very much about, but we also have a spirit realm and the Holy Spirit that helps us walk through which emotions and feelings are true and right and pure and lovely and the things that we are supposed to allow to lead us in. But to say that God doesn't care about how you feel is a callous and cold response from someone that says you should just do better and be better in your Christianity because it's just righteousness and faith. No, it is peace and joy. But when we lack some of the emotional aspect in our life, we can't be so quick to say that God's not doing his part. I don't believe we can avoid the facts of an encounter and experience with Jesus that is felt. If you were to ask me if feelings and emotions are important, I believe solely in the bottom and depths of my heart that an encounter with Jesus in the felt presence of God is actually the thing that draws someone who doesn't know Jesus or believe to a place of wanting a relationship with him. Like preaching and teaching truth all day long does nothing compared to somebody walking into a moment with Jesus when they're in a conversation with a friend, in a worship time. And, and these, we got to be so, we, we can't be so close to think that it's only in church. When you are sitting with your friend or you're sitting with someone and you're being Jesus to them, there is something about the felt presence of Jesus that touches their life that actually causes their heart to leap and believe that maybe God loves me. Maybe he's for me. Maybe he wants to do the things that he said and my friend is telling me about. I don't think we can overlook this, but as we mature and we grow in our relationship with God and in our spirituality, we have to be very careful to realize that we cannot live our everyday life by every emotion that we feel. So that's number one, God does care about my emotions because we're an emotional being made in the image of God. Number two, feelings can cause me to miss the fullness of what God has for me. I believe this is a truth because our humanness so very often leads us into creating an image of God that becomes convenient for us. 
and then it becomes based on what we feel rather than what is true. I want to read a story in 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 12, and it says this. Oh, there it is. Then Jeroboam. Everyone say Jeroboam. So after King Solomon died in the Old Testament, there were two men that became king. The kingdom was split and divided, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And when you take an Old Testament theology class, remembering who is what in which, it gets a little annoying because Jeroboam, Rehoboam. And then you throw Abijah into the mix. He's the next king after Rehoboam. But it says, Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim, and he dwelt there. Also, he went out from there and built Peniel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom may return to the house of David if these people go up and offer sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Then the heart of the people will return back to the Lord and Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So here's what's happening here. He's divided the kingdom. He took 10 tribes and uh, Rehoboam has the other tribes, but Rehoboam has the temple of God, the Ark of the Covenant, Jerusalem, the place of worship where all of Israel, didn't matter who was your king and ruler, to worship God the way he wanted to be worshiped, you were to go to Jerusalem. That's just the way it was in that day. But Jeroboam is scared that they're going to go back to Jerusalem and they're going to start deflecting to Rehoboam instead of him and he's going to lose his power and kingship. So therefore the king asked advice and he made two calves of gold. Does this sound familiar from week one? Like didn't the people when they got antsy and they didn't know what to do, they scrambled and they're with Aaron and they make this gold calf in the desert and they said this is where we worship God? Well, the same thing happens years later after the time of David. It's crazy to think. And he said to the people, listen to this, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. So here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. And now this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. And he made shrines on the high places and made priests. This is important from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. Now, why is this important? Well, God had asked to be worshipped in a certain way. And in the Old Testament, you had to be a priest in the line of Aaron to be able to offer sacrifices and to perform the worship ordinances. Well, what does that have to do with us today? Not really anything except for the symbol and type that it represents. Because the Bible in the New Testament says we are all priests and kings. The, the veil was torn. We can enter the presence of God. We can come before him and worship. But what happened here was Jeroboam started doing something that caused the people to set up an image of God rather than who God actually was. He said, it's too difficult for you, so why burden yourself? Why go all the way to Jerusalem to do what God has asked you to do? Why don't you just worship how you feel like worshiping? Why don't you worship in a way that's a little more convenient for you? Why don't you do it this way? And then it says he made priests uh, of every class and tribe of people. And basically what this did in this time and what it reflected was he gave everybody the subjective right to call themselves their own leader and say this is how I can worship God and it's based subjectively on how I feel and whether I want to do it or I don't want to do it. So since I, I can be, you know, making priests in any class, there were certain rules and certain sacrifices that happened in that Old Testament worship. But when anybody could do it, it was like, well, I guess this sacrifice is good enough or that's okay and this is okay. And what we have to be careful of in this, when it comes to our feelings and our emotions in our lives in 2019, in this day and age, 
I fear greatly that at times we become people that we've set up an image of God that says, well, I'll pray or I'll show up or I'll worship when it's convenient. And yes, we have busy lives and we have things that we need to do. But there are things that God actually asked of us in the Bible about how he wanted to be praised and how he wanted to be worshipped and time with him and communion and fellowship with other believers. These were things that God said are important for your spiritual life. And now God doesn't come to us today and say, oh my goodness, you didn't go to small group. You're not worshiping me right. No, but he knows that relationship with people is actually a form of worship that uh, it pleases him and it's actually going to help you grow in your walk with God. We can get so caught up in life that uh, church or the Bible says don't forsake the meeting together. Now is church and being in this building everything? No, I don't believe that one bit. But I believe that especially as I've pastored young people for years and years, parents who have their kids in the house of God and give them a shot to encounter the presence of Jesus and experience who he is have a much greater shot of those kids following through on their own personal relationship with Jesus. And it's not about the do's and don'ts, but it's about God setting up things in our lives where he's saying these are important. Why? Because I want you to be successful. I want you to experience the fullness that I have for you. But it's not a new thing, though. When pastors or leaders talk about sometimes we got to make sure that we're carving out time for God, for our families to experience God, because it grows us and it helps our life it's not like we're saying something because oh because 2019 so busy and say yeah we're all busy but this happened thousands of years ago with the people that really like they had to go to the temple like three five times a year and it was like it's too much for me like this is what we're talking about in the extremes right so we just have to come to a place where we realize that god help me see whether or not my emotions and my feelings have become an idol or God, because uh, there are many days, and I'm not going to lie to you about this, that I walk into church and I do not feel like worshiping God. I said to Brandy yesterday, do you think it would be funny if I text Pastor Brett and say, I don't know if I should preach tomorrow because I don't feel like it today? Like, seriously, I did not feel like doing this yesterday, but guess what? David said, I will tell myself I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to do the things that God has said are good for me. Why? Because I know that as I walk in the ways of God, as I follow Jesus one step at a time, there is a fullness and a richness that comes to my life that I wouldn't find by doing it my own way subjectively when I feel like it. I mean, come on. When you pay your bills and your mortgage when you feel like it, it doesn't work out very well. When you're subjective and go to your place of employment when you feel like it, or we were busy and my kids had this and this and that, so I just thought I'd take this afternoon off work and this, like, I mean, we, you know, it's funny, like, but we have to determine what is the realm that we know God is calling us to and how do we need to grow and say, God, we're going to make some things important in my life. My daughter's not in this service and don't tell her I said this, but my wife's looking at me like, don't embarrass her. She asked me driving home from youth group on Friday night. She says, Dad, when I get my babysitter's license, like how often can I babysit? How late can I stay out? She's probably the best babysitter you'll know in this church. And honestly, but I said, well, you could babysit on Saturday nights, maybe some Sunday afternoons, maybe a weeknight if it's to like 9 or 10 o'clock. Well, and maybe if I want to miss youth once or on a Friday night. I said, no. 
She's like, you're ta- she's like, why? I'm like, you're talking to the guy who was a youth pastor for 15 years. You will not skip youth on Friday night to go babysit. Well, why, Dad? It's not really the end of the world. I said, it's not the end of the world, but you're 12 years old. You still need to be a kid. You need good, godly friends. I would rather you be there than making that extra money. If that 20 bucks is so important to you, I would rather give it to you than have you miss out on the fullness of what God could do and you having good, godly friends in your life. And that was a conversation we had this weekend. Because as we set up parameters, we come to a place where we realize that our feelings and a need for a feeling and sensation can actually become an idol in our lives. And by creating this idol, what we actually do is we say, well, if I don't feel like doing something, isn't it inauthentic? Right? We've all said that. Well, if I don't feel like worshiping God, but I lift my hands and I sing, isn't that like not authentic? It doesn't matter whether it feels authentic or not. It's what God has asked us to do so we can experience his presence. Okay? So, Psalm, next one, last one. So, finally this. Not feeling God is a sign of his absence and I need to try harder and do better. Okay, we know this is a lie. Just because God is silent, can I tell you this? It doesn't mean that he's absent. Can I tell you this morning? Feeling the presence of God is amazing. Hearing his voice is amazing. Sensing his direction in our life is amazing. But guess what? It isn't always everything. And if you're the person here today saying, everyone else probably felt God in worship. Everyone else has probably heard his voice this week. And I just don't. And I'm alone. You're not alone. Even David in the Psalms wrote this. He says, but I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? David, the greatest worship leader of all time, the guy that got in the presence of God more than anyone in his time, and he led the people in this, he had moments where he said, God, why does it feel like when I get up to pray and when I do the things that I know I'm supposed to do, why does it feel like you're silent and you've rejected me? And the truth of the matter is that even... It sounds really corny, but teachers at some times are very silent when we have to take a test. When we've heard things already and we've been told things already and we go through a season of testing and trial, sometimes the voice isn't always there. We have to go back to what we've already learned. You know, sometimes when you have uh, people in the military or you have people that get sent on missions for government and they have to go into places that they have to be isolated and they can't have this back and forth communication, but they're doing something important. They know that how many times do you think they feel like I'm alone in this, but they go back to their training and what they know and they know that the people back home are for them. And we need to sometimes look at the, the, the realm of feelings and that voice of God the same way. That Because if there are moments and there are seasons and time where it doesn't feel like God is saying anything new. He's already said some things and he's still there and he's still for us and he's still with us. And so in conclusion this morning I want to leave you with five things. And I'm going to ask this question. So what do I practically do if and when I can't feel the presence of God? Right? Because I I hate that. Yeah, we should feel God, but we shouldn't rely on it too much. And this and that. You're like, you told me a whole bunch of things, and now I'm going to go home. What do I do if I can't feel God? Five things. Number one, check your heart. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, maybe there's a disruption, there's a sin, there's rebellion, there's an interference in our relationship with God that isn't allowing the intimacy 
that we know we want to have with God. Psalm 66, verse 18 and 19 says, if I had not confessed my sin in my heart, the Lord would have not listened, but God did listen and he paid attention to my prayer. Look, there are moments and there are times and if there's things that God's been asking to do and there's, there's areas that you know he's spoken to you about that are sin, rebellion, those things, deal with them. But don't camp there forever. Confess them to God. Say, God, I need to get back into this place with you and move forward. Dave said, as soon as I confessed it, God, listen, and we move forward. So when, you, when you're in that place, and if this is the reason that you're not hearing God, just check your heart. But if you're conscious and clean, says like, I really don't. Don't go searching for something way back here and there. Well, maybe this was a sin. No, no, don't do that. But if your conscience is clear, move forward. Number two, remember what he's done in the past. There is something about going back to the place where you, you know that God is for you, where he's done something for you, where he's been there for you. All of us have a story of a time where we felt the presence of God, where we heard his voice, where we knew he was doing something in our lives. And in those moments and those seasons where we can't feel him right now, go back to that moment and let that fuel your trust in him again. Number three, go where he is. Time and energy are required for any relationship. And it doesn't mean that when you do that immediately that this might lift or this might break, but make sure you get to that place of prayer. Make sure you open your Bible. Make sure you get around people that want to speak the things of God into your life. Get around the friend that's gonna tell you, God still loves you, he's still there, I'm still praying for you. Don't go to the one that just wants to complain with you. Get to a place where he is and his voice is speaking, even if it comes to your friend and you don't feel it, get to those places. Number four, keep doing the last thing he told you to do. If God's not speaking on the next step, guess what? Just keep following Jesus one step at a time. Keep doing the last thing that he told you to do because God is faithful. He is the author. He is the finisher. He is going to lead you into the thing that he's called you to. And we can get into this tendency where we panic if God doesn't give us the next step or show us the next thing when we want. But guess what? When you don't hear his voice, when you don't feel him leading you anywhere else, just keep doing the last thing that he told you to do. And it'll come. And number five, so simply, just choose to believe. Our feelings do not determine whether or not God is with us. Faith will lead you into a future that your feelings never can. So choose that. Hebrews 13, 5 says, He has promised you I will never leave you alone and I will not loosen my grip on your life. This is who God is. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. Next week, we are finishing our Who Made God series talking about the heartless God.